welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Agroni. I'm the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and sometimes I write books. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. Welcome back, Will Ashen. Hi, how are you doing, John? Can't complain. It's been kind of a crazy weekend. We're only talking about one film this week. Not that we haven't seen other films, but we're keeping cool. it kind of uh, lean and mean and simple. Mm. Yeah. I was gonna Plenty say. of other things going on, but for now... Yeah, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. Write into the show anytime by sending us an email. It is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com is how you do that. And if you'd like to become one of our monthly supporters, you can always write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or become one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. But yeah, like I said, a lot's been going on for both of us, but we're, we're just going to be talking about Hustlers. Neither of us has seen Goldfinch or The Goldfinch. Mm-hmm. I I was not I, I was not in a, a situation where I could watch any movies this past weekend. And uh, do you do you plan on seeing Goldfinch, Will? Um, at some point, I think I'll check it out. Um, I heard it did disastrous business. Like, uh, where'd yes. you go, burned it? It only made two level. It back. only made two million dollars at the box office. Yes, the, about the same as where'd you go, Bernadette? It just came and went. Yeah. I guess the the book readers are staying with their books at home. They're not going well, yeah, to the movies. We, we kind of we knew this was going to happen for a while, right. though, right? Because the the book readers, the book fans, have been decrying this movie for a while now. Oh, yeah? And I, I, I'm a little lost on yes, there's been sort of an anti Goldfinch movie sort of mentality I've been noticing from people who are big fans of the books. And then a lot of people who were fans of the books have been seeing that the critics hated Goldfinch, like 26% on Rotten Tomatoes at this point, last I checked. And they're saying, well, we don't want to watch a bad movie about this book we love, which I think is perfectly valid. Yeah. I don't know. I definitely got a um, extremely loud, incredibly close vibe from the trailer, which is that it looked like it was going to be uh, a very well shot uh, kind of poetic film that probably made maybe was a little too sentimental with the material to the point where it didn't really do the full justice. That's kind of the vibe I got from the trailer. So uh, it sounds like the reviews are kind of in line with that. And also seems like the reviews were suggesting that the material was condensed and edited down so much to the point where it became nearly incoherent. If you weren't familiar with the book uh, as far as watching the film. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an 800-page book, I believe. So that was always sort of inevitable. And we we talk we say this a lot on the show, but it's one of those situations where I think people have just been wishing it was more episodic, or they had broken it up into different movies mm-hmm. or something, because it, it's apparently such a thick volume. But that's a hard franchise to pinch. I don't know if the Goldfinch cinematic universe. Yeah. Well, if you were to do multiple movies, like I don't know if there's a, a, quite the appetite for that. There's not even appetite for a standalone film, apparently. Yeah. But. I think the real disappointing thing for Warner Brothers in this situation is that they were really looking at Goldfinch being one of their Oscar contenders. There's been a lot of buzz behind the movie coming out of something that could have, you know, nomin- acting nominations for Ansel Elgort and others in the film. But I, I have a feeling that's not going to be the case. I don't think this think- one's going to get a nomination for best uh, adapted screenplay. I don't know. It seemed like they kind of uh, figured this one wasn't going to work out when they put it a week after it, Chapter Two, which is also under their house. And pretty high up in September as well, which is a little outside right. of the typical award season window. So if I were a betting man, I would say that Warner Brothers knew what they had and they just wanted to release it and see what money they could get. And evidently what money they could get was very slim. So that That is clearly the case, yes. But one of the films that did do very well this past week in box office wise was Hustlers. It kind of came out and yep. did tremendous business. And that's that's the one we're going to be talking about on this week's show. So Hustlers is a new film from STX Entertainment. Stars Jennifer Lopez, Constance Constance Wu, and plenty others you'll recognize as a group of strippers in the late 2000s and early 20-teens who decide to start drugging the rich Wall Street sleazebags who, in part, caused the 2008 financial crisis. And while these men are out of it from getting drugged and lured into the club, the women max out their credit cards as a scam to essentially Robin Hood the money, but give the money to themselves. Constance Wu plays Destiny, who is our main viewpoint character. We follow her early days as a stripper at a large club in New York City. She eventually comes under the influence and tutelage of Ramona, played by Jennifer Lopez. 
who shows her the ropes and eventually becomes kind of her big sister slash criminal mastermind, kind of like their mob boss as they work together with other young strippers looking to make money during the recession. We gotta start thinking like these Wall Street guys. You see what they did to this country? They stole from everybody. Hardworking people lost everything. And not one of these douchebags went to jail. Not one. Is that fair? You ever think about when they come into the club? That's stolen money. That's what's paying for their blowjobs. The firefighters retirement fund. There are two big things I want to mention with Hustlers. First, the premise is loosely inspired by a real New York Magazine article called The Hustlers at Scores by Jessica Pressler. I have not read this entire article, but I believe you have, correct, Will? Yeah, I read it over the weekend, and it's a highly enjoyable read. Um, and I was telling John before we were recording, it was one of the rare times where it seemed like they, uh, as far as the story tells, that they kind of toned down the real story. Like, there's some details that they that would have been very... Um, kind of uh, bombastic in the film that they I think intentionally left out because they I'm assuming that they figured like oh people aren't going to believe this but you know it, it actually <laughs> happened as by the uh, writer's admission so yeah it was a yeah. uh, it was definitely a worthwhile read especially if you're a fan of the the movie right I, I think uh, that that's probably right that they probably felt like those scenes were too strange for fiction but then also maybe they didn't really match the tone they're going for with this film which I've definitely heard is like a valid decision some filmmakers make it's like yeah this is a true story we could have put this in the film but it just wouldn't have cohesively fit with because real life is messy and random strange things happen in real life that don't always translate well to storytelling so i totally buy that but that's first thing second thing this was directed by loreen scafaria who's a woman filmmaker who is known for two films i like a lot she wrote nick and nora's infinite playlist oh i was thinking the different one but yeah that, that she did that as well Yes, I really like that film. I also really like Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, which yeah. she didn't just write. She, that was also the first film she ever directed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was right? a really solid directorial debut, I thought. like, um, Yeah. The craftsmanship in it was, I was highly surprised that was her first film. Well, it was three years before she would direct and write another film, mm-hmm. The Meddler, which, which I have good. not seen. Is that the other one you were talking yeah. about? Yeah, I was thinking of The Meddler and Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. But I did see Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. I remember liking it. I don't remember it too well. It, it definitely... Um, I remember a lot. <laughs> okay. I remember it being yeah. like charming and solid, like a nice rental, but I didn't, it didn't leave like a long impression for me. And I don't think Medler left a long impression either, but I remember it being a solid, good film with some really strong performances from Susan Sarandon and Roseanne, or sorry, just Rose B- Byrne. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I would definitely recommend both films or all three films actually. Yeah. Uh, J.K. Simmons is in that film as mm-hmm. well, if I recall correctly. And yeah. yeah, I've always been interested in seeing it. The thing that I really like about Nick and Nora and Seeking a Friend, not the only film she's worked on, by the way, but, you know, the, the big ones for sure. Mm-hmm. The thing I really like about the, both those films, they, they really stick with you. I really remember the tone, the feeling. I remember scenes. I remember running gags. I remember specific conversations with characters. Like one of the things from Nick and Nora, a film I haven't seen in 11 years, but I remember details about a conversation somebody has about uh, the Beatles song, I, I Want to Hold Your Hand. I mean, she just sort of has a knack for writing that really comes through. I think it's it's a good fit for a New Yorker article, which is why I bring that up, mm-hmm. that uh, an article from well, what York I can magazine. tell, not New Yorker, New York magazine. Thank you. Yeah. That that has has a lot of moments in it that are hard to shake off. So that said, she's also one of the writers for Soul, which is the new oh. Pixar film coming out huh. next summer. It's going to be coming out after onward yeah I didn't know so that. that that was a surprise i didn't actually realize that until i was kind of looking into what she has coming next and another thing though uh one of the first times i kind of recognized her as a, a creative force because I, I remember watching nick and nora's infinite playlist and not really being as aware of her and i didn't see seeking a friend for the end of the world when it directly like when it came out mm-hmm. but she actually directed a, a uh a couple episodes for new girl during one of its best seasons okay and that was the first time i made the connection there so big big fan of lorene scafaria but in terms in terms of hustle hustlers uh, i'm curious what, what, what do you think of this one well i mean a lot of people have been saying a lot of different things one of the advantages about us recording this after the weekend is We've had a little bit of time to sort of sift through the general reaction. We can just say it outright. Critics really like the movie. There's a contingent of people who are kind of not fans of of the film. But I'd say for the most part, critics love it. And Jennifer Lopez is being looked at as 
this is like one of the best roles she's ever come out mm-hmm. with. But where do you where do you land on this one? Yeah. Um. So remind me, how do you pronounce her last name? The filmmaker, Lorraine, Lorraine Scafaria. Scafaria. Okay. Um. Yeah. Like you were saying, I was. Um. I. You know, she hasn't done a lot of films so far, but the the film she has done, I have enjoyed a good bit. So. I was looking forward to it. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a hit, but it definitely had an intriguing premise. And uh, the trailer was eye-catchy enough to the point where I was like, you know, I could definitely see this working with this filmmaker. And, you know, it had enough style flourishes in it, in addition to being a good story, that I felt like there was potential here. And I was was very glad to see the reviews of, um, I think, from TIFF that were coming out that were really, really positive and highly praising the film. So... Uh, as for the film itself, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun watching it. Um, I think as I left the theater and kind of mauled with it, like you said, like now that I've, it's been about a week since I've seen it, the flaws have become a little more apparent to me uh, in retrospect. Um, the one that definitely was apparent while I was watching the film was, so I haven't seen Goodfellas. And I know, John, you, you point this out to me several times, but of I think... Of course. I think, and I own the movie too, but I think the reason why I haven't seen it is kind of similar to people who haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, Um, even though uh, not that those two films could compare too often, but um, with Goodfellas, like, I feel like every year there are three movies at least that very much hearken themselves to the style and structure and tone of Goodfellas. And this year, this is uh, that film Hustlers. Um, Even having not seen the film, I just kept constantly thinking of like, oh, they're kind of doing the Goodfellas thing here. Or, oh, this tone's very similar to Goodfellas. Even down to the point where they did like a tracking shot into the um, uh, the strip club that's kind of very reminiscent of the uh, famous shot that's in Goodfellas, the tracking shot, which I'll come back to that in a bit because I I do have something to say about that shot, which um, I, I was very much shaken by. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a film, I really enjoyed it. I do think also that the third act is where it kind of fumbles compared to the first two. Cause I do think like those first 40 minutes are just dynamite. Like they're really, really solid, very strong. And, um, as it's been pointed out numerous times by this point, Jennifer Lopez's intro into the film is like one of the high points of the year. I mean, any point, any film that can have, uh, such great use of Fiona Apple, and any film is definitely going to catch my attention, but the way it's used here is uh, just really great. Like that, that I mean, that's one of the stand up stand up pieces of the film for a good reason. And yeah, I mean, like you're saying, I think Jennifer Lopez is very good as is Constance Wu. I I think I was a little more taken by Constance Wu's performance as opposed to um, Jennifer Lopez, though she is very good. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's any even. There's no real like link link uh, uh, weak link <laughs> in the bunch. Um, like even the kind of minor roles here, like um, I, I don't know, is it Lily Reinhardt from Riverdale? That's a girl from Riverdale, yes. right? Yeah, I mean, yes. I don't yeah. watch Riverdale, but I thought she was very solid as like a comedic supporting role. Um, we have Cardi B in here, who I don't think has as big a role as some people anticipated, but I thought she was solid as is uh, Lizzo. Um, I'm trying to think who else is in the film that I'm forgetting right There's now. There's also Kiki Palmer. Yeah, Kiki, Kiki Palmer. Palmer is one of the main, yeah, one of the main yeah. characters, uh, part of the like, original Hustler score group. And then there's also Julia Stiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've seen her since um, that last Jason Bourne movie. So it was nice to see uh, her again. I, oh, yeah. Not not Jason Bourne. Jason, yeah, Jason Bourne. Jason yeah. Bourne. Yeah, right? she was in that. Oh, yeah. okay. She was in that? I just mm-hmm. remember Alicia Vikander for some reason. Well, yeah, she was like the main like I mean, uh, I think it was like a small, basically maybe even a cameo in Jason Bourne. But um, yeah, I mean, to your credit, like I only remembered that when I was looking up IMDb of her her IMDb page, I was like, "What's the last thing I saw Julia Stiles in?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, Jason well, Bourne." Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I haven't <laughs> seen any of her recent other recent films. I mean, I, what was it, Trouble? And uh, oh gosh, the one where it's like midnight or eleven o'clock or something like that. I don't remember what that was exactly. And then there was something called The Drowning. Uh, that came out the same year as Jason Bourne. But yeah, she just, yeah, she hasn't really been in a lot of like big movies, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But, Although uh, she is in uh, that show, Riviera. What show? Riviera. It's on uh, Sky Atlantic. Uh, uh, she's on that with that. Uh, Lena Olin. And okay, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan. I haven't really watched it before, but she's like, I think she's like the main character of that show, hmm. uh, I want to say. There, there's like two seasons. I, sure. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I, mean to throw you off. No, there, no, I yeah. just was like, I, 
I mean, I just don't have anything off your tech conversation because I've literally never heard of that show until you brought it up. So this just okay, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's it's funny too because I mean that's that's where she's been really. That's what she's been working on since like for the last few years, or last couple of years. So I mean, good for her. I I really enjoy Julia Styles. I mean, that's just I just haven't seen the show or heard about it apparently. And we should make it sound too like she doesn't have like a a, a major role in this movie. She is uh, it is a role. I mean. I don't know. She's she's definitely not a main character, I would sure. say. She's a supporting character at best. I mean... Maybe tertiary. I would say, I mean, she has more screen time than Cardi B or Lizzo, who have gotten yes, considerably definitely. more advertising time than Julia Stiles, who I don't think is in any trailers or any piece of marketing. They, they have more of a presence on the soundtrack sure. in some ways. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember where I left off with my thoughts. But yeah, I mean, overall, I, I, I'm quite a fan of the film as far as just being a solid piece of entertainment, though I do think... I mean, if you the more I think about this film, the more I think about like, you know, like how uh, Big Short and Magic Mike and The Wolf of Wall Street also came out before this. Like, I, I, I don't know if this film is better or worse than any of those. I think it's maybe about on par with all of them. But I do think like this type of story, uh, while it's definitely given a fresh angle through the occupation that's seen and the the approach of the film, I, I do think there is unfortunately just something about the structure of the film and how it kind of mirrors other films before it to the point where I never really felt like there was like that many surprises. Like a lot of the bigger surprises are unfortunately revealed in the trailers and the promotion materials. And I don't think there were like a lot of things that really caught me off guard. Like once like the plot was in going through, I was like, okay, so this is that point of the film. Like this is the downfall. This is when they're, they're kind of at their late, their low point. This is when they get to. Well, even, even some of the best jokes honestly are, yeah, kind of trapped in the trailer. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not just looking at it as uh, as far as the trailer is concerned. Just like I think the the structure and the format of the film does feel very familiar if you've seen kind of crime films in this vein. So I, I think that's probably the biggest hindrance for me of the film is that like I, I never felt like it took me by surprise as far as the story as much as I wanted it to, or I think the film wanted it itself to be. But yeah, I mean, it's just a solid piece of entertainment, um, especially in the late summer, early fall. Uh, yeah, I certainly enjoyed it a good bit. I think I think we're way out of summer at this point. Labor Day already happened. We're, this is fall season. Malashin uh, is a fall movie. Look, the weather outside is even hotter for me <laughs> than it's been this summer. So by my standards, it is summer still. <laughs> the kids are in school, Malashin. I don't think. Sure. Anyway, so all right, interesting. Yeah, I think I think this is one of those times when you and I are basically exactly on the same page with a film. Although I think some of our criticisms will differ slightly, but I think we're we're going to land in the same place uh, critically. But yeah, just to kind of go through it. Yes, the the Goodfellas comparisons. I wonder. I wonder if it's if it's more annoying to see how much this is like Goodfellas if you haven't seen it, because you you know like oh that's something I'm supposed to recognize from Goodfellas being more distracting than just sort of like knowing that it's from Goodfellas and letting it kind of wash over you. Because when you watch Goodfellas, like everything that's riffing off that material starts to just it just becomes like a thing. Like it's so funny to me that we're still seeing movies like this. We're still seeing movies like Itania, for example. Right. When that's another one. The show Community so beautifully satired this concept with the yet with the chicken finger episode. If you're unaware of what I'm talking about, uh, in the I believe it was the first season of Community, if I'm not mistaken, there is an episode that is is the it's Goodfellas, but with like a group of community college students trying to. St- basically steal chicken fingers out of the cafeteria. And it's it's one of those things. It's like the blazing saddles kind of moment that these movies should have had where it's like it's been totally ruthlessly mocked like those tropes, but we're still seeing them in movies. I'm not saying that's a complaint, though, because I really like the Goodfellas formula. It's one of my favorite movies. I really like seeing other things applied to it. It's the same kind of thing as like Die Hard, but on a boat. Yeah, well, I was thinking like Pulp Fiction, like how many movies have mirrored that style where it was so fresh and uh, irreverent and unique at the time. And now it's just like so many films have tried to do it to even when they're pretty good, like they still just feel like they're mirroring another film. And that just I get that sense from Goodfellas a lot. Yeah. So I really like this movie, though. I, I think that's the, the Goodfellas stuff aside. It, yeah, a solid piece of entertainment is right. It, it's just sort of enjoyable. I was kind of surprised by how much I didn't laugh at this movie or with this movie, I should say, like, or neither, honestly. Like, I remember I just kind of watched it, took it in, thought it was pretty good, thought it was pretty well-paced. I liked the story. I liked the characters. One thing that I, I think we sort of differ on is I actually do think the film 
has it's, a, it's pretty much equal in quality all the way through. It doesn't get better, it doesn't get worse. I think you're right that the the intro for J Lo is is really incredible. But then at the same time, I think the film really hits its stride when the scam actually starts in the second act. It takes a while to get to that point. And then I think it wraps up with a, a pretty heartfelt, emotional appeal that almost felt sort of like half finished to me. I wanted a little bit more from it. I, I think I wanted the film to wrap up a little with a little bit more resolution and we don't get quite that we sort of get an an allusion to that sort of catharsis which i don't want to spoil what happens but it's just one of those things where it's so loosely inspired by the true story that they they probably could have gone even farther with this this relationship between these two women which i think was is the real strength of the movie i think constance Wu and jennifer lopez are just dynamite together and i i was more invested in in them than i was really the story itself and and where it was all headed there there are a few things that kind of took me took me off guard i guess in this movie I, you're right that there aren't like a ton of surprises like yeah this movie's not going to make you it, it's definitely not going to make you think uh all that much honestly like it's it's not a film that i think is going to I guess blow your mind. I, I guess I want to say, except for maybe that the the pole dance tutorial, which I, it's not her intro, but I thought that was probably my favorite scene. I mean, the only reason I bring up the surprises element or the lack of surprises, I mean, is that like the movie is kind of selling itself on like this, like whoa, like this premise is absolutely nuts. Like you're never going to believe what happened, and that's respect. Like the fact but it's that it's like th- yeah, you will. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like <laughs> yeah, it's just you like will. yeah. Like, they're just, like, this, like, mentality throughout, like, it's, like, you're never going to believe what's going to happen, but, like, nothing in this film, like, really, like, seemed out of the realm of possibility, which, to the film's credit, like, there is, like, a grounded realism here that is able to still be very stylish and cinematic while never, like, feeling, like, over the top or, like, too bombastic, I guess. So I do appreciate that as far as the direction is concerned, but, yeah, I, I never felt like, I felt like the lack of surprises in this respect made it seem like oh like I, I guess i was just maybe expecting like the film to take even more crazy turns or something but it never really did right me. yeah i think yeah not a lot of twists and turns just kind of plot advances like advancing of the plot which is good too but yeah you're right it, it sort of lends itself more like the sort of cinematic quality lends itself more to something that really takes you by surprise kind of just takes you off guard i guess but one thing that did knock me off my seat was seeing madeline brewer show up in a role that I, I found just very, very surprised. I, w- I was not expecting to see her. She's, of course, uh, the person who played Cam uh, in the Netflix film from last year that was kind of like a oh, yeah. kind of a sleeper hit. I, I really like that one. It was very interesting, very interesting horror movie about Cam Girls. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. I might watch it this October. I think you'd like it. I think she she definitely stands out in that film. And at the same time, I, I have I have trouble connecting with a lot of the other characters. They They, they just didn't quite shine for me in this movie is and, and lily reinhardt especially i think she's kind of like a one joke character in a lot of ways there's there, there's kind of like this running thread of like it, it's an it's an interview sort of movie where we're cutting back and forth between the present and the past and there was interesting stuff there there were some interesting like creative choices they made to make that feel a little bit different from other sort of like interview formats we've seen in movies but it, it's a little off balance. Like it kind of disappears for big stretches of the movie. And then, yeah. And then we don't even, I think the first voiceover we get is like kind of far into the film, isn't it? Like at least 10, maybe 15 minutes. I was going to say, um, are you telling me this narrator is unreliable? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not because Constance Wu is very reliable. Well, I don't know. I, I, her character, maybe not so much. Well, I mean, that's like a big point in the article is that like, the I don't know if they really stress this in the film as much, but um, like she is very much known for lying to the point where like you don't really know if you can trust everything she says or like she right. tries to make it seem like that. But then like the reporter is like, no, I have like proof that this is what you told me is true. <laughs> He's like, no, that's not true. It's like, what are you talking about? So I don't know. yeah, I mean, that's what I was referring to with the unreliable narrator thing. Right. I don't think we're supposed to make too much of that. Yeah. And I, I think, though, I do agree that there's not really a lot of weak links necessarily. Like, I don't think there's any performers in here who are doing a bad job or anything. I think Kiki Palmer, Lily Reinhardt, Lizzo Cardi B, every time you see them, they're, they're, they're great. I just think they're not written to be all that crucial to the plot. And it's not a criticism necessarily. I'm not saying the film needs to be a certain way. It's just sort of something that struck me as a bit odd because it, 
it looks like an ensemble film. It kind of quacks like an ensemble film, but it's not. It really is about these two women. Mm-hmm. But I'm not complaining because I think that's that's a really good story between the two of them. I just guess I was, I guess I was just a little weirded out by certain things. I also want to mention the pacing in this film is pretty good. I, I think for a yeah. film of this runtime. I was surprised by how brisk it was. Even I kind of overlooked mm-hmm. how I think the first act takes a while to get to the point, simply because I thought it was just a fascinating entryway into this world, and you get sucked in pretty fast, no pun intended. You just sort of get immersed in like what it's like to be in their situation, and the, I, I just think Scafaria's script here just it works up a lot of that empathy you need to understand their motivations why they make the choices they make and really laying down the blueprint for the 2007 2008 financial crisis and how that really affected people you don't normally think of like a profession we don't normally think of during times of like recession and financial chaos basically and i thought it was just a it was very economical it was a very efficient movie in terms of getting you invested in this world but at the same time it it, part of me did kind of struggle with how long it takes us to get to the point as i mentioned i also want to bring up the female gaze Mm -hmm. so this is this is a big a big selling point of this movie and i think rightfully so is the fact that this is a a a movie directed by a woman written Mm -hmm. by a woman and mostly starring women and women of color and the report is also a woman the the article exactly yeah Exactly. And what's fascinating about that is, first of all, we don't get a lot of movies like that, Mm -hmm. period. So it's very refreshing because that's a big reason why I think this movie does feel so different. Despite having so many comparisons to Goodfellas, I do think it's its own thing. It it's it has its own energy and its own flow. Yeah, I, it I would just agree uses with that. some techniques. Yeah, you, it just uses techniques that are pretty readily recognizable. And I think one of the things this film really nails is the female gaze because the female gaze is something that can be so easily mishandled mm-hmm. when it's the male gaze in a film about strippers. Yeah. When you watch the trailers for this, I could see a lot of people going into this movie essentially being like, oh, it's a stripper movie. I'm I'm going to look at strippers. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I was going to... Um, when I brought up that long tracking shot, that's uh, the main reason I wanted to bring it up was because I, I thought the way that it handled the female gaze was really great in that scene. Um, because um, I know a lot of people are also talking about the female gaze in relation to the uh, scene with Jerry Lopez that we were also talking about earlier. But I think with that tracking shot, even though it's like obviously mimicking um, the Goodfellas tracking shot, I thought it was really impressive as far as like, because that's like our first introduction into the strip club and the way it's handled is that like we're in the line with the women and like you're kind of like in their shoes in that scene in a sense like because so many strip clubs like they have it like you know like outside of the stage like like from the audience point of view and this scene very deliberately puts you on the stage in a way that you got to see like the club it felt very real it felt very authentic but never had that male gaze that you're talking about where it felt like it was hyper sexualizing them or anything like that and I thought that that was a scene where I was like, this is like this movie's in good hands. Like we're in for something really special here. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have been anticipating this, right? Because we even got an email from one of our regular listeners, Stephen Philadelphia, wrote in and he actually asked us to discuss this point. And he's he said, uh the opportunity is ripe uh, to talk about the female gaze because Hustlers is out and not a few reviewers and podcasters lauded the film, especially the pole dance, as an example of the female gaze. I- I'm not too sure about that because I haven't really read a lot of reviews for this film or, or, lo- or heard yeah. a lot of podcasts review this film, right. so I'm not sure. If- I- I- I would- I'd be interested to see if, if that holds water. But yeah, as Steve goes on, he, he says here, uh, the only elaboration on this is... As an instance of the female gaze has been that J-Lo is in full control and that she is watched by Constance Wu for her control and power, I can't quite see the difference between male and female gaze, really, since that pole sequence seems just as available for objectification through the heterosexual male gaze. So, kind of asked us to weigh in on this. Uh, he also told us his his, uh, his uh, take on the film. Uh, don't forget, if you ever want to like write in and, mm-hmm. and ask any questions or talk about film, always hit us up. Our email is cinemahawkspodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, I have some thoughts on this, but yeah, Will, what, what did you make of this email? What was your reaction? 
Uh, I thought it was interesting for sure. And it definitely leads into um, what we're talking about. And I do want to stress before we get too far ahead of in our conversation about this, that like obviously as two males and, and an email from a man, I'm, yeah, you said his name was Steve, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want, I, I mean, we're obviously no like authorities on this matter, so I don't want to speak too out of turn for anything I say or anything you say. But um, yeah, I mean, so you're ta- he's talking about it being potentially objectifying the pole dancing that we were well, referring to? Yeah. And I think he's curious, like what, what makes it female gaze? Because to him, he's seeing, it's like the same scene that could, somebody could also look at and perhaps I'm not, I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but I could see someone argue, well, if this was directed by a man, would we still consider this the female gaze mm-hmm. or are we just saying it's female gaze because it was shot by a woman? Although it to means, be fair, it's interesting Hustlers question. was shot Hustlers was shot by Todd Bonhazi. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was directed though, of course, by Lorreen Scafaria. Right. So that itself is another conversation of like right. we don't really know the relationship between cinematographer and director in all of these scenes. But I, I think it's it's easy for us to read into as director the and the editing, of course, too, because uh, this was uh, edited by Kayla Emter. So it was edited by a woman. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of outshines like one male cinematographer. But yes, go on. Yeah, I mean. I could, I mean, I guess like you're saying, like, it just depends on how you look at the scene. But to me, I took it as, I mean, it's her like in her moment doing something that she's really good at. And she like the the focus is less, I think, on like sexualizing her so much as it's about recognizing that like she's able to make all this money, attract all this attention and like kind of like be the center stage in this moment in a way that she like this character feels seen in a way that this uh, the character is watching her Constance Wu is not able to do so. Like she kind of seems like a outsider fish out of water. And that's like the moment of realization for her. Uh, not so much as like a sexual awakening or like seeing her from a sexual light, but from a perspective of awe and like, wow, like this is someone who is amazing at their craft has been doing it for a while and able to, you know, ring in all this cash because she is able to really excel in what she is doing. So I don't know if that's the takeaway you got or if you align more with what Steve is saying. I'm kind of curious to hear what you had the thought, what you thought about that. Yeah, I, I agree a lot with a lot of what you're saying. And I think it's hard because there's no science to this. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that you and I are, are never going to fully understand because we are men and we gaze things as men. Right. And we have to infer a lot of this from... Uh, our colleagues who, you know, they ha- they know this when they see it. I-, I remember seeing a tweet in regards to the Birds of Prey movie, kind of directly comparing the way Harley Quinn is shown in that movie and the marketing for that movie yeah. compared to how she was in Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. I think it was Britt Hayes, maybe. Probably. Uh, and I think I-, I think it was. I Forgive me if I'm wrong about that. But I think she was saying, like... I know the female gaze when I see it or something along those lines. Like, I don't know how to define female gaze, but I know it when I see it. And that to me is an indicator of if you're curious about this and you're wondering, is this really female gaze? I would just say, listen to women who Mm -hmm. who are reviewing these things and and don't don't take our word for it necessarily because we're a bit limited in our perspective. And I will say, I mean, just from my experience, like a lot of the people who've been really praising and celebrating the film have been women. Um, as far as hustlers, I mean, like it just seems like like the response has been positive across the board, but I've definitely been hearing a lot of women be the most vocal champions of the film. And I don't know if that's the same for you, but I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. So I think that that leads credence to what we're saying as far as the female gaze being respected and recognized here. So a couple things that I would definitely add on to what you were saying before. I think that you can have the same scene, but with two different perspectives, the male perspective and the female perspective. And it's not that a pole sequence is inherently male gazy, where mm-hmm. a woman is pulling off these moves. And I think, Steve, in your email, I think you you sort of mention how that works, because the perspective is from Constance Wu. And yeah. the way that it's shot is her perspective. And that's mm-hmm. why it comes off very differently than it probably would if it had been directed by a man with a totally different intention to sort of ogle and objectify her. And it's, again, not an exact science. It's not like we can look at that same scene again, directed by a man, and we could be like, there's the difference. Well, like, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I was thinking like, if you were to compare this scene to, say, like Jessica Alba in uh, Sin City, 
like when she's dancing like you can i think you could see yeah. a little bit of the difference there i mean not like you said it's not an exact science but i think that would be a better way if you can kind of see the difference as you like watch a scene like there like that's very clearly directed by man two men actually uh frank miller and robert rodriguez and then this movie which is directed by women like you said i mean i don't know if there's an exact way to describe it or to tell a difference but i think if you were to put like those two scenes for instance back to back you could kind of see a little more easily I think we're on the same page. Uh, and I, one thing I want to say and before we kind of leave it at that, I highly recommend if you're curious about what the female gaze is, how it works, why this is kind of an important thing and, and how you can learn more about it. Highly recommend, I'm actually holding in my hands right now, the book. Uh, it's called The Female Gaze, Essential Movies Made by Women. It's by Alicia Malone, fantastic film critic. And uh, in the back of the in the back of the book, it says the term male gaze was first coined in the 1970s to describe what happens to all of us when the majority of our entertainment has been created by men. The viewer is forced to see female characters through a male lens, which distorts how all of us see women and even how women see themselves. Typically, the keepers of film history and writers of film criticism have also been men. Yet since the very birth of cinema, women have been making movies. So what does the world look like through the female gaze? This is the question best-selling author and film reporter Alicia Malone poses as she presents The Female Gaze, a collection of essays on 52 movies made by women. These films encompass various eras, nationalities, and stories, yet each movie is distinctly feminine. Joining Alicia Malone is a variety of established and aspiring female critics who write about their favorite film made by a female director. So I've read this book and a lot of those film critics I absolutely love and adore. It was awesome reading this and seeing some of those people uh, talk about some great films. So I highly recommend this book. It's available, I believe, on Amazon and in bookstores. Mm-hmm. I got it through Amazon and it's it's a great read. If, if you're interested in film and you want to deepen your perspective and learn about some films you may not have even heard of before, th- this is a great way to do that, especially for a refresher on classic cinema. There's a mm-hmm. lot of older films in here, including the first film ever directed by a woman. So highly recommend that. And uh, thanks again, Steve, for writing in and yeah. bringing up this topic. Okay. Will Ashton, what did uh-huh. you think of the soundtrack? It was good. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I obviously talked a lot already about um the inclusion of criminal, criminal. by Fiona apple <laughs> but yeah. uh i mean uh, yeah i mean I-, I can talk about the rest of the songs a bit but i just want to specify real quick that i mean i don't know if every movie would be improved with more fiona apple but i haven't seen hmm. a movie made worse with more fiona imagine apple. <laughs> imagine we're back that dinosaur animated okay. dinosaur movie with criminal which one which, which uh fiona apple song are we talking about here criminal uh criminal yeah sure that's that yeah. I'd you would be say you would say any fiona apple song is this yeah. your the theory you're positing yeah i like i Her? said i've not i mean i haven't seen we're back without fiona apple so i i mean uh <laughs> I, I can't really see i, I can't have a um point of comparison here but i, I would imagine Chall- here, okay okay here's a challenge for the listeners sure the first land before time Okay. Find me a Fiona Apple song okay. that blends in perfectly with that movie, and Will Ashen oh, gets to win the Cinemaholics Glory Points Award uh, for next week. I think you made that okay. pretty easy with the Land Before Time. I feel like that there's there's a lot of films that would be way harder <laughs> to put really? Fiona Apple. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to try to help you here, but I would... <laughs> um, well, we already picked Land Before Time. Yeah, I, I think you let me off pretty easy, and I appreciate that, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but yeah, no, the soundtrack's good. I mean, I, th- I think it's a testament to the film that there's even a J-Lo song in the movie and it's not distracting. <laughs> At least yeah. it wasn't for me. Like, I, th- I think that that has to say something. And Cardi B, like you said, like there's Cardi B in the soundtrack as well. And it didn't really distract me as far as uh, the film because the story was entertaining and engaging enough that I was even concentrating on that type of stuff that I would, as I would be in a lesser film. It's a great soundtrack, and one of the things I really liked about it was it did capture songs from this era, which it's a little too early to be nostalgic for songs like Love in This Club by Usher and Club Can't Even Handle Me Right Now by mm-hmm. Florida and Royals by Lord, which is only like six years old. Come on. Yeah. But I still felt nostalgic for all of those songs. And I know you and I you and I are a little bit different in age. This movie sort of takes place along when I was basically the entire time I was in college up until when I graduated and was working my first couple of jobs. So it it was kind of interesting to sort of like look at a different look at this era through a different lens, because what they're going through is very different than what a college student in the East Coast 
is dealing with, or they're in the East Coast here, but I was more in like the South. Mm. But that said, yeah, did you did you connect with this era of time, or did you feel any of the when you heard some of those songs that maybe you haven't heard of in a while? Because because that was the main thing for me. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying earlier, like I, I, we're kind of at this point where we're looking back at this time period because we had um, the Big Short was took place in this time period, and uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. As well, actually, I think Wolf Wall Street was a little before this, but um, yeah, I mean, definitely, it, it's very uh, surreal, I guess, for me, like having a period of time that I was, uh, you know, pretty familiar with, like cognizant of the time and what it was like, uh, seeing in a somewhat nostalgic lens through this film. But yeah, I still enjoyed it. All right. Well, I don't have too much to add. I, I just think it's very enjoyable. Let's let's talk though real quick about Jennifer Lopez. I was gonna say, do you yeah. think she has? Do you think she has Oscar written in lights? I know. I, again, Constance Wu was kind of the stealth heart of this film for me. Mm-hmm. I really connected with her, but I was really wowed by Jennifer Lor- or Jennifer Lopez here because it, it's not like she's an actor who. It, it's not like she's never made good films before. Uh, I think we we were kind of discussing this kind of briefly before the show, but she's been in a ton of movies. She's been in a lot of movies over the years. She mm-hmm. never really stopped working. Yeah. And I know the first film I ever saw her in was either Jack or Selena. I believe it was Jack, because I think I watched that on home video before Selena even came out in the theaters. Uh, but Selena was the film... I'm just going to say that that film, Anaconda, U-Turn and Out of Sight, is probably her biggest year. And she she is a Puerto Rican actor, so I'm playing my Puerto Rican card again. Jennifer Lopez was a was was an icon in my household. We were all about Jennifer Lopez. We were all about uh, the wedding planner. Uh, we had that made in Manhattan. Saw that a lot. Even watched Jersey Girl. <laughs> so there there are a lot of films she's been in that I've I've had the uh, most mostly pleasure of seeing, but also some films I wish I could forget, uh, including. Uh, Gilly? G- Giggly? Remember that one with uh, yeah. Ben Affleck like, right when they broke up? Turk, uh, was it? It's uh, Gilgy? Or Gil- no, no. Gil- it's Giggly, Giggly but yeah. I think it's pronounced a different way. I don't really remember. Jig- because Jiggly. Jiggly. Yeah, Jiggly? Is yeah. that how you say it? Okay. I think so. Yeah. What a, what a uh, movie. Um, one of the Turkey biggest time. box office disasters of the early 2000s. Yeah. Gobble, gobble. But uh, what about you, Will Ashen? Is Jennifer Lopez your favorite actress of all time or just like second or third? Um... Well, truth be told, I don't, I'm looking up her IMDb resume right now, and I think I've only seen at most half of the films she was in. Like, there's a lot of blind spots. For That's me. still it's, a lot. There's a lot would, of films she's yeah. done. So I think even actually, half is pretty impressive. I, uh, no, actually, now that I look it over. I, I think. Uh, well, the first one I, I saw, or at least heard her in, was Ants. Um, but yeah, I mean, I saw Jack, Selena, uh, The Cell. Oh, of course, The Cell, um, Angel Eyes, and Jersey Girl. Uh, enough. Shall we dance? Uh, Monster in Law, mm-hmm. um, the backup plan. Uh, that was a, that was all right. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, what I was gonna say about Jennifer Lopez. I saw that, that in theaters. It was you know. Uh, what I was gonna say is that I think she, like, with the exception of Giggly or Jiggly or however you pronounce that, and a couple other films, like she's generally like a pretty solid actress. She just tends to be in a lot of really bad films. Yeah, like, but I don't think like 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 for the most part, when I think back on the films that she's in, like her performance is rarely ever like the the thing that's really bad about it. I think Jiggly is like the only example where like I think from what I've seen for that film, like her performance is not good. Um, but generally, yeah, I think she's like you know like obviously a lot of people praise Out of Sight and like you said, um, what was the uh, what what's the movie that you said earlier? Um, Selena. I said a bunch of them, but yeah, Selena. Probably my favorite performance from her. Yeah, I was going to say. Probably yeah, because I, mean, I have the most nostalgia for mm-hmm. it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I She's also seen... great in Money Train, to be fair. Okay, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen um, Out of Sight. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I haven't seen a lot of the bigger ones, so I don't want to speak too out of turn for her acting. But, yeah, I mean, as far as this performance in Hustlers, um, yeah, I thought she did a really good job. I mean, it's obviously a um, passion project. I think she was, you know, she's a producer on the film in addition to acting in it. And I think she was very vocal about getting this movie made and it had some um kind of turbulent production problems i don't think we talked about how annapurna was involved with this originally and then i think they dropped out like midway through and then um was it stx that picked it up um stx entertainment mm-hmm. yeah and, and this is this could become one of their biggest films of all time right. it, Which it is... had a bigger opening weekend than 
both Bad Moms and The Upside, The Upside from earlier this year, which currently, like, they both opened to about $20 million, which was the best SCX has ever seen. Mm-hmm. This movie opened to $33 million. Yeah. I mean, there is something kind of tragic, tragic, tragic comic about that situation as far as Annapurna, where they're like, we don't know if this is going to work out. <laughs> And they drop it with all their problems, and sure enough, it it turns into this pretty sizable hit. Yeah, well, um, it almost makes you wonder if they would have botched. Right, the that's what I was, I, was, I was gonna say. Yeah, I don't know. We don't know if this would have been like their widows if they had stayed attached to it. Who knows? But um, yeah. In any case, um, I don't know if the Oscars will um give her a nomination for this. Not that she doesn't deserve it. I just don't know if like because it's coming out in September, if they're gonna I don't know maybe have a critical eye to the subject matter i don't know if i just don't know if the oscars are going to be down with it or not truth be told yeah there's a lot of competition for best actress and best supporting actress and it, it is a bit of a long shot but you know it, it's a tiff film or it's a film that premiered at tiff that i could definitely see scx pushing yeah. an oscar campaign on it and it, it would be kind of fascinating to see some see something oscar come out of Gloria Sanchez Productions, which we didn't mm-hmm. mention. This is uh so so Gloria Sanchez is really because the big short comparisons are apt, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is the six the sister label to Gary Sanchez Productions, mm-hmm. which was founded by Wim Farrell and Adam McCabe. That's why they're listed, I believe they're listed as producers of the film. Yes. And the whole point of Gloria Sanchez Productions is it's supposed to be a, it's supposed to have a focus on female voices in comedy. So in some of the films that they've come out with, for example, Sleeping with Other People, they produced. Uh, Booksmart, mm-hmm. they helped produce. Mm-hmm. So two films I love. <laughs> so and, and also two films that, you know, uh, Booksmart in particular had a bit of a relationship with Annapurna Pictures. So um, All three directed by women. Exactly. So my whole point is that Hustlers has producers who I could see pushing this film toward an Oscar campaign. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to wait and see if it actually happens. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I... As far as like if she deserves it or not, I mean, I just have to see the other performances um, to compare it because like it's still very early in the year. But um, yeah, I mean, I think she's solid. I'd be very curious to see if the Academy um, is down with it. And like you said, I think it ultimately comes down to marketing and campaigning. And uh, if they make a good case for it, uh, we could see it. But I don't know. At this yeah. point, it's way too early to know. And I'd rather just focus on the film itself and her performance rather than her awards chances. Speaking of awards chances, uh, I also just, <laughs> sorry, oh I, I can't resist, but honestly, I, I'm with you. But even though I think it's kind of a long shot for the Oscars, I don't know if it'll even get nominated. I do think this movie kind of screams Golden Globes, <laughs> honestly. Maybe. So I could definitely see it at least showing up there for like best performance in like a musical or comedy. I could see it. Like I see I, it there. I could see it definitely sure. getting a musical or comedy best picture nomination, mm-hmm. um, depending on what the musical and or comedy uh, films come out this year are like competition wise, but um, like, what are they going to call a Joker comedy? Like, what what weird backwards things uh, are they going to call comedy this year? What's going to be like the Martin of the uh, or the Martian? I'm I'm sorry, the Martian of this year being a comedy right, or right. like Get Out being a comedy? <laughs> what a bizarre what a bizarre thing that was. But all right, that's our review of Hustlers. Um, my final thoughts on this one is I think we've, we've really covered it. It's, it's just a, it's just a pretty good film worth checking out in the theaters. I don't think you're missing too much if you just want to wait for it to hit it on streaming, but I do think it's great to support films that are made by women and star mostly women, because mm-hmm. th- this is yet another example of like audiences will come out and watch a film like this. It's just about how you market it when it comes out and this level of mainstream appeal it actually has. Uh, I was actually talking. I actually actually replying to a tweet from Alex Dowd earlier today about kind of like why was Widows from last year like nobody saw it, even though it was a pretty good film and it had a female cast, a male director, but you know, not that that's a bad thing, but you know, it was just it was one of those things you'd think audiences would come out and see. So why was Hustlers a big deal? And I honestly think it's just because it's just it feels more like a mainstream. Like people want to go see a movie like that. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I mean. There's probably some merit to that, yeah. I don't know. So that's my final. I, I, I give this one a B. A very strong, solid B. Uh, I think it's worth checking out. If you're interested in the trailer, definitely go see it in theaters. I think you'll have a good time. And what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm a little higher than you, actually. I'm going to give it a B+. Um, like I said, I don't think it's a perfect film. Um, obviously, um, 
the more I think about it, the more I think of its flaws and how it's it's definitely a little derivative of some other films that we've mentioned on this, on this episode, in addition to some other films we haven't mentioned. Um, but as just a solid piece of entertainment, I, I think it really works well. And I think what is really commendable about the film is there are like a like just a, a variety and a tremendous amount of different ways that this film could have fallen apart and been something uh, way more problematic or disastrous or uneven than it ultimately is. And I think uh, it it's really smooth and well put together in a way that um, I think it definitely is a credit to the filmmakers and the actors involved that they're able to make this work so well. I mean, definitely, I think we haven't really talked about how um, I'm sure people are going to criticize about how the film um, could uh, maybe glorify the actions of the characters. And that's something I'm kind of back and forth about. I don't know where you stand on that. And I'm surprised we haven't yeah. really talked about that earlier. I kind of forgot about it, to be honest. Well, because the way I stand, I think the film's pretty balanced with this topic, honestly. I, I think I'm kind of struck by some of the people who are trying to argue. Um, I haven't read any reviews about this, so I haven't really read like a good analysis. But I've seen just sort of like drive-by tweets where people are saying what you're saying of like, oh, is the movie glorifying their actions? And I, I guess I don't see it. I, I think we'd have to go into a spoiler section to talk more about it, honestly. Well, no, I mean, what I was going to say was, I think, for one, even if they do glorify it, the, there's some, how many movies have glorified men doing violence, like killing people and doing yeah. how many ungodly things? So, I mean, having one film where, um, I mean, it's not like they you know do anything quite that bad, but, um, but even beyond that, I do think, like you said, I, uh, in the large run, uh, I think the movie is decently well handled i mean i think they could have done maybe a little more to make it clear that like what they're doing is bad like it, it doesn't have quite the like really? uh well i mean i was gonna say like compare like if we're gonna compare this to like say like the wake up call uh like the cold water moment in wolf of wall street where it's like that's like the moment where it really hits like how bad things are and like how you should kind of be ashamed for like you know, getting getting into this fantasy. Like, the movie doesn't have quite a moment like that, but it does get pretty close. So I think to a point where it definitely... I think the movie definitely makes it clear that what they're doing is not really something that's good. It's definitely immoral, and, like, what their their intentions are noble for the most part, but what they're doing is basically criminal. I would say more than not, I agree with you, that the film doesn't really glorify it per se, but it doesn't not glorify it at the same time, if that makes sense. I I think that... The theme of this movie, and again, I don't want to give anything away. I think we've already said too much, honestly, uh, which is why I, I kind of was like thinking maybe we don't even talk about it. The thing, the thing about this movie is that the, the theme of it, I think, is that even if you feel like you're doing a bad thing for right reasons, it's going to have unintentional consequences. Mm-hmm. I, I love that I get to bring up The Good Place right now. Um, The third season of that show, which focuses a lot on this ethical question of one of the reasons it's hard to be a good person by seemingly objective standards is because you can make choices that seem like they're good choices, like things that make a lot of sense in the moment, but they have unintended consequences and they can hurt innocent people. And I think that's something the film does plenty to, to, to prop up. And I think something that gets shown in the trailer is that there is commentary in this movie about how how. Toxic masculinity, for example, it's not just men going to strip clubs and objectifying women. It's also men being so embarrassed to admit when something has happened mm-hmm. to them and not being and, and feeling like because feeling like victims, they don't have room to, to get out there and basically tell something that happened to them, which is very messed up. The only thing I could sort of agree with you on, I think, is that the film doesn't quite get to the bottom of how damaging this can be toward men. Well, that's kind of, yeah. Because the film, the film yeah. sort of has to... Well, the thing is, the, the film sort of has to focus on its main characters being likable, and going too mm-hmm. far in that direction might have felt a little bit counterproductive. I think it, I think it's a good balance. I think they struck the right balance, and you can have you can have a great conversation and discussion about this sort of thing in a spoilery sort of way uh, that is a little bit more fruitful than I think if the film tried to shoehorn that stuff in. I don't know. I I get what you're saying, and like I'm like 85 percent agreement. I just think like again like with Wolf of Wall Street, like that the the way it does that in a way it's like so sober and like so stark where it's like you totally see the reality of the situation in a way that like there there's like no like um way around it in like the last 40 minutes like it's very much like you'd have to be you know like 
looking at the wrong things to like really see like how like, like to overlook like how much this is he's damaging people's lives and ruining his own life and i think this movie like in comparison like they, they have one character and one scene where they kind of talk about that but in the long run it, it's like you said it, it's kind of like to a point like it doesn't go quite that deep into it but i don't i think what you're mostly saying is true in that like i you get to you get enough of it to the point where you understand the damage that's been done and it doesn't distract from the entertainment value it doesn't bring the film to a complete halt in a way that would like drag the film out necessarily but i don't know i i, I think it's not perfect in that regard but i do think by and large i agree with you I, I guess we can come to some understand. Yeah, it's not perfect, I think is right. I think it's probably not as graceful with handling some of its moral and ethical questions as right. it is J-Lo is graceful on that pole dance. So I guess uh, <laughs> I guess that's where we can leave it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think this is a, I think this is a good conversation starter, though. I think this is a good film to sort of like, I can see people, uh, th- t- oh, this shot could be taught in film classes. Well, Ashen, uh, that whole Chief okay. scene. But um, I don't know if you even get that joke I'm making, but regardless. Okay. The, you remember that one? The, the, this shot should be taught in film school? Uh, sounds familiar. What's that from? You don't remember that meme? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember that, yeah, on Twitter. where yeah. um, you, It was like that Game of Thrones shot, right? Yeah, yeah, where yeah. she has like the dragon wings or whatever. <laughs> that lady from Game of Thrones, Amelia Clark. <laughs> yes. Um. Oh man. Fire lady. Uh, <laughs> it's just fun talking to somebody about Game of Thrones who's never really watched Game of Thrones beyond the first season. But regardless, uh, that is Hustlers. Yeah. Uh, again, a, a film definitely worth seeking out. I don't think that it's one of the best films of the year for me, necessarily. It's not my favorite or anything. I think if it had been a little bit funnier and to what we were talking about before, if it had a little, a few more twists and turns, maybe maybe it could have been something that uh, is a real like contender for one of the best films of the year. But as it stands, I, I just think it's pretty good and, and definitely, definitely worth uh, a sit. So mm, B for, for sure. me, B plus for Will Ash. Yeah. I mean, I could see this maybe getting into my honorable mentions for the end of the year. I don't think it'll be in my best category, but... I, like I said, I really did enjoy this, and I do think, um, you know, the reason why we do 52 Films by Women this year and, and last year is because I do think it's it's definitely been very beneficial for both of us, and as I hope everyone who participates as well, um, that you get to see the female lens, and you get to see the differences, and you get the empathy that, that is provided through that. So, I mean, in that, may, in that respect, in addition to just being a very well-made and entertaining film, I would highly recommend, you know people check it out that's right i would i would compare some of the heart heartful scenes between constance Wu and jennifer lopez in this movie to a lot of films where you see that with men and not often enough do we get to see this with women and i think a lot of that has to do with the storytelling from the director and writers so yeah that's hustlers mm-hmm. next week we are going to be talking about ad astra uh, a film that you've already seen, Will. Yeah. I missed my screening for it, but I'm excited to talk about it with you. Mm-hmm. And there's also Downton Abbey, which is hitting wide release. Rambo, Last Blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think you've seen Rambo, Last Blood, though, no. right? No, no. Sorry. I I meant I saw Downton Abbey. I haven't seen yeah. um, the new Rambo movie. Whatever. What is it called? Last Blood? Last Blood. Okay. Now, I definitely oh, like am First gonna... Blood. <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, so Downton Abbey... That's not. I I don't have any interest in this one. I never watched the show. I, I don't think it's something. I, you were you were kind of mentioning this before. I think it's probably a hard hard film to watch if you don't have a way in with the show, right? Um, so, what do you think? Not not hard. Like you you get the gist of it. I think you're more likely to get you'll get the most out of it. Obviously, if you've seen the show, like if you if you watch yeah. it as just a film, it's like a fine period piece, but. You know, like a lot of the character uh, moments are obviously established from like six or seven seasons prior. So it's like they're not going like, oh, you know, like so and so. And we know this person because of this. It's just like, yeah, you know, these guys anyway. Um, you know, so it's like in that regard, like uh, that might be a little confusing if you don't really know the character dynamics and who's who. But I mean, you know, having not seen a single scene from Downton Abbey, I was able to follow the plot reasonably well. So I don't want to make it seem like it's incomprehensible if you haven't seen the show. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. And then last we have Where's My Roy Cohn? We just said, I mean, hitting limited release. That's the uh, political documentary. So 
that that's the schedule. Three major wide releases. Isn't the Rob Zombie thing also coming out this weekend? Uh, which Rob Zombie thing? Three from Hell, the sequel of Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I'd have to be fat checked on that. Um, oh, it might just I did be not see the, it on the release schedule. So. The Fathom event is this week, so ah. it'll probably be after this episode comes out. To be fair, honestly, I can't remember the last Rob Zombie film I even watched, besides, I guess, Halloween 2. I don't really remember probably. what else he's. Did you come see out with. Yeah. Uh, Lords of Salem? No. Um. Well, it's better. This other <laughs> movie's not very good. There's also 31, which is terrible. Hmm. So, I, it yeah. sounds like I'm pretty good on where I'm at with my Rob yeah, Zombie I was gonna say. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. If you like our show, don't forget to leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Uh, check out our social media profiles. Everything you can find, all things Cinemaholics, or Cinemaholics.com, and the show notes for this episode. We'll see you next week from the Internet, California. I'm John Negroni. And from the Internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.